Draw your blade, listen to a saga, or spin some gears. These are the ways of Xeno. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about one of Jason's favorite JRPGs from the late 90s with turn-based combat and a story that will stick with you. It's Xeno Gears and the rest of the Xeno Saga. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 We're back again. We are back. It's nice to see the two of you after our break. After a short, refreshing break. What a long, difficult break it's been. (laughs) It was a long, hard break. (laughs) You know what? It kind of was. You know what? (laughs) Yeah, it was for one of us. It kind of was for one of us, which we got to get into because, hey, it's the beginning of the show. You probably know what I'm going to say if you've ever listened to it before. If you haven't, (laughs) welcome. Here's the thing I'm going to say. I'm going to say that we are a podcast that's on maximum fun. And I think that's really cool, first of all. And second of all, it means we're listener supported. And if you want to become a member and go to MaximumFun.org slash join, you would get bonus episodes. But hey, you might be thinking, Maddie, I am a member and I'm, I'm still tapping my foot on that bonus episode <laughs> from July. Where the heck is... Maddie and Jason and Kirk talking about Marvel movies and TV shows. And that is coming. Kirk, over to you to explain why (laughs) that is the case. So there's this uh, virus called COVID-19. And as Hmm. it turns out, if you get it, it really can kind of be a bummer. And last week Hmm. I got this virus and had a real bummer of a week where I was not really up for recording any podcast or doing much of anything other than lying in my bed and reading the internet and occasionally going, uh. So that's what I did for the last week. And uh, it was a real drag. So and it now turned I'm, you into an elephant. Is what it, it basically turned me into a very sad elephant. Um, so yeah, I, I got COVID and we had to delay recording the MCU Beans cast that we will be recording today. Yes. And we'll be... In the feed, as you're listening to this episode, probably on Friday. So the mm-hmm. day after you're listening Ooh. to this, it'll be it's up. Exciting. And, a lot of triple click um, this week. Yeah. A lot of triple click this week. And I'm pretty much feeling better. It's still kind of lingering. It's been a really annoying time, but I'm I'm pretty much all there. I may not be at hundred percent for this episode, but I think I'll I think I'll be okay. Yeah. Well, you've never been at hundred percent, Kirk. That's a good point. <laughs> Even less of a non one hundred percent than usual. Wow. Uh well. Anyway, that bonus is only available to members, so hopefully folks can find it in their hearts and minds to go to MaximumFun.org slash join and become members. But let's say you're not a member and you're just in it for the free stuff. Well, this next bit is also relevant to you, which is that our episode, which I believe will be the September 8th episode, if I managed to write the state down correctly, we will be reading a gamer book that's right. We know how to read, and we're going we do. to do it in time for that episode. <laughs> wow, that is a brag. Maddie. I know really it's a huge brag, but we we are gamers, so we're going to read a gamer book uh, for gamers by gamers. Uh, it is a novel called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, a reference to the play that shall not be named. The book is called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and it's by Gabrielle Zevin. And all three of us are going to be reading it and discussing it. And I've heard good things so far, but who knows what the three of us will think. So if you want to read along with a little Triple Click Book Club, September 8th, try to finish it before then. Okay. I think we should call it a triple read. Mm, Triple read. Triple read. 
triple read. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, three people are reading it on a podcast yeah. called Triple Click. Makes sense there to you me. Go. It's like a triple mm-hmm. play. Only yeah. reading. And then when we <laughs> when we watch the Fantastic Four, it'll be a triple read Richards. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, so enough preamble. Uh, Jason, what are we talking about today? Well, today we are talking about Xenoblade. What is the deal with Xenoblade? This JRPG series with a weird ass name that seems to have come out of nowhere to become one of Nintendo's <laughs> tentpole franchises. Mm-hmm. I thought it was called Xeno Saga or perhaps Xeno Gears. So I mm, was already interested question. to see that Xenoblade was the title you put into the podcast episode notes today. I don't that, not understand this. Help. That is that is an interesting. I think by the end of this episode, you will have a deeper understanding of all things Xeno. Or as some people say, Zeno, but I say Zeno, so we'll just deal with that. Kind of like how you have to deal with how I pronounce Oregon. Uh, (laughs) Oregon Trail, (laughs) Oregon, the state. Uh, Mm. I just switch it up. Or, I mean, people don't know this, but until I was like 18, I used to say that the plumber's name was Mario. Mm -hmm. And I went to college and I kept calling it Mario and people kind of talked me into switching to Mario. But like, when you're a New York Jew, you say Mario. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think of, I mean, Russ Frustick, also Russ, a New York Jew, who <laughs> says Mario. Says I'll always yes. Mario. Yes, 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 yes. He grew up like 10 minutes away from where mm. I grew up and also where it's I definitely a up. regional affect. Um, so today we're saying, well, we're talking about what the deal is with the Xenoblade series. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, the latest game in the franchise, came out last week. And so a lot of people are playing that, um, myself included. I just started it. Kirk, I believe you just started it too. I'm not sure yeah. how much I'm going to play it for reasons we will get into a little bit later (laughs) but i wanted to give you guys and our listeners an introduction to the whole series because i think it's really interesting and it's got this kind of unusual history a lot of game series especially rpg series they tend to kind of stick to a single game developer stick to a single game publisher but this in part because it's not all one big series it's one kind of like loosely connected series has bounced around a lot and had some kind of turbulent history along the way so to start us off um actually i'm, I'm curious to hear have you guys played any games any of the xenogears xenosaga or xenoblade games have you guys played any of these games maddie you definitely haven't because these are all I thick jrpgs that you i would did hate. i did live with someone who was playing them and i tried to figure out which one i know it was one of several games where you play as cosmos who's like a cool ai girl yeah that would be xenosaga got it okay so i i watched somebody else over their shoulder playing that for a while and was like this okay. is not my shit and then i moved on with my life <laughs> yeah yeah i can see that Kirk, how about you? So I've been aware of this series. I was aware of Xenogears, at least. Xenogears, I suppose, um, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Though I haven't really played them, just because Yasunori Mitsuda is the composer for most of these games, and I've loved his music since I played Chrono Trigger. Um, and so I was just always like, well, what's that guy been up to? And mm-hmm. then uh, realized that he's been making uh, the music for these games. No, I haven't really played them, though I I had seen people speak very glowingly of Xenogears. And then... I wasn't even really aware that it was part of this broader series. And it sounds to me like as what you're calling um, Xenoblade is kind of like Final Fantasy. Like it's a, a long-running fantasy JRPG series. Is that is that a correct way to describe it? 
Sort of. Um, I wouldn't. I, I think it's even more loosely connected. Final Fantasy games are pretty loosely connected. This might even be even more loosely connected to the point where, like, the Xenoblade games are almost a different genre than than the Xenogears and the Xenosaga games. But, mm. but let's go in chronological order. So I want to introduce you guys to this guy. There's this guy named Tetsuya Takahashi. And uh, hello, Tetsuya. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's good to <laughs> good to meet you. He's not um, on the show, unfortunately. But we no, are saying hello to him introducing him. He's listening. Jason, right now. Jason's swinging his webcam to the side, and there's somebody sitting next to him. Look at Surprise! This. Who is that? Oh, it's a, a, an elderly Japanese gentleman. Oh, hello. That's just a different guy who lives in Jason's house. That's actually not him. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, the elderly Japanese man who lives in my attic is actually not named Tetsuya Takashi. No, totally okay. different name. Right, um, but right. anyway, Tetsuya Takashi is this guy. He is a game developer. He works at Square, not to be uh, the original Square, aka Square Soft, um, working on games like. Final Fantasy VI, which we all know well, and Chrono Trigger. And one day he is kind of tasked with working on a sequel to Chrono Trigger. And so he starts working on this game. And for various reasons, it turns out to not to be something else entirely. It doesn't turn out to be a sequel to Chrono Trigger. Why is it becoming this game called Xenogears? Now, Xenogears is this like uh, really formative RPG for a lot of people. It came out during the time when Square was really at its peak, coming out with all these fantastic PlayStation games. It came out within the same three-year period as like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy Tactics, like Chrono Cross, uh, um, um, all these other incredible games that Square was just releasing constantly. Um, and Xenogears really stood out in a few ways. Here was this game that is kind of, Um, It blends sci-fi and fantasy, but leans more heavily towards the sci-fi because it's actually all about giant robots punching each other. And so uh, very inspired by, what's the name of that anime? Evangelion. Evangelion. Yeah. Yeah. I say Evangeline. I call it Evangeline. I would recommend not calling it Evangelion around okay. anyone other than the two of us. <laughs> right. Probably a, a large number of our <laughs> listeners might object to Or, you know what? Go with that. Just lean into it. Make it like the Oregon Oregon situation. You know, just say it's your thing. It, yeah, it man, my, it's my mispronouncing <laughs> things. That's just my thing. That's my, my new shtick is just mispronouncing everything. Great. Um, <laughs> anyway, Cork, uh, Madai, let's go. <laughs> Great. Um, so Xenogears, here's this game that is like truly epic. It's like 80 hours long. It's this sprawling story. You play as this guy named Faye who has all these secrets in his past and he winds up discovering this like um, possibly cursed mech giant robot that he takes over and so the game, it's a turn-based RPG with a giant world map. You do a lot of exploring, you do a lot of combat um some combat and dungeons are done outside of your mech and it's just like hand-to-hand brawling and there's like a fighting game-ish system that you actually mm. might appreciate many because you have to enter yeah, combos and this stuff this is how i know um, this wasn't the one i watched is because yeah, first no. of all you're not playing as cosmos <laughs> and second of all there's a fighting game part would have liked it <laughs> yeah it's not that's that might be pushing it like I, well but at I, least there's some based. combat so you know i'm picturing there are combos yeah, yeah it's yeah. well it's combos in the combat yeah so and then there's also giant mech combat so sometimes you'll be in these giant robots and you'll this have this good. like head-to-head gear combat um and it has this incredible incredible story that just like has one twist after another these epic like battles and warfare and um 
reincarnation and love and uh, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff to the point where like there's this later in the game you wind up discovering that you're you're on this kind of like weird sci-fi floating city and you wind up discovering uh, that the f- the food that everybody eats is actually people and it's even called Soylent. Uh, so <laughs> that should have been their this first This is just clue. one thing after another. Um, and in fact, the game was so big and sprawling that they actually didn't have time to finish the second half. Um, so when you get to the second disc of the game, a lot of it is told in this abridged version where it's like these big plot events will happen and instead of seeing them, you'll just be told about them through these like weird slideshows and paintings and characters narrating what's happening. I actually happen to think it works really well because at that point you're kind of ready for the game to be over. And so from a pacing perspective, it kind of works for me, but a lot of people complained about the second half not being finished. But anyway, it's a fantastic game. This is a game that I loved growing up, still love today. Um, One large part is the music, as you mentioned before, Kirk Yasunori Matsuda is the composer of these games and Xenogears' music is just really top-notch, top-tier. Um, so Xenogears came out in 1998, PlayStation 1. At the end, you kill God. Uh, so it's a JRPG. Yeah, um, sure. So cool. this is a game that like really stood out to me. And unfortunately, none of uh, Takahashi's games following have really lived up and i've been like playing all these games hoping that they would live up to xenogears kind of the expectations the bar that it's set but sadly none of them have done that at least for me personally so after xenogears um it's takahashi wound up leaving square forming his own company called monolith soft and that's when he started uh, Xenosaga, the games that you are more familiar with, Matty. Those were actually published by Namco Bandai instead of Square. They were all on the PS2. He actually wanted them to be a six-part series. And he started them with like episode one, episode two, episode three, with the idea that it would just be six episodes. And they were kind of like, it's it's hard to describe how they connect to Xenogears because there are a lot of weird and subtle ways. But the idea was that it would be both a prequel and a sequel and a successor. And, and there are a lot of kind of loose connections and then some more straightforward connections um i think his original idea was that xenogears the original game would be episode five in the six part series and i'm not exactly clear on what the the grand plan was but it had to be abridged and so it turned into a trilogy instead of six part series because it just didn't sell well enough to justify uh the costs and Mm. uh Xenosaga, sadly, just like you, not didn't didn't have enough of an audience that people who wanted to watch Cosmos and crew fight yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes but sense. For, for people who did stick with it, I mean, they were rewarded uh, by like again sprawling story, tons and tons of plot twists, crazy characters and character reveals, and there's like a character named Chaos, and this is the original Chaos before that uh, Final Fantasy game this year. This, uh, <laughs> well, I guess the original Final Fantasy had the original Chaos, but but still, this is a, a, a character named Chaos. Um, there's all sorts of weird, hilarious stuff in there. Um, again, weird plot twists, people becoming gods, people turning out to be gods, or angels or demons or whatever else it's just crazy sci-fi nonsense mm-hmm. um, sci-fi plus religious aspects as well yes which, very exactly. evangelian but you know you've never seen that so i have not no <laughs> it's fine you might like it that's really what i'm learning from this so we've gone from zeno gears to zeno saga mm. and the zeno saga is is that still about large robots are those still a part of the story 
Um, it's it's more hard sci-fi because you're in space. There there are robots. You're not piloting giant mechs anymore like you were in Xenogears. Okay. Um, Xenogears mostly took place on one planet. This takes place like all across. Like your your main base is your spaceship, and you're traveling around to different places and stuff. Um, so no. But they are loosely connected. And there are a lot of, like, spiritual themes. One thing I didn't mention is that there's a lot of, like, um, Judaic mythology in these games. So, like, there's this uh, there's this concept in the first game called the Zohar, which is, like, this... It's a Hebrew word, but it's basically in the, in the mythos of these games. It's, like, this all-encompassing power. You touch it and you, like, ascend. And that carries on to Xenosaga 2, um, along with a bunch of other stuff. One thing that I got a kick out of as a kid that I bet very few people actually know is that a lot of the cities and towns and nations in Xenogears are named after Hebrew months. There's like a city called Av, a city called Kislev, a city called Nisan, and these are all Hebrew months, which is like something that I bet hmm. very few people picked up on. But uh, those of you who spoke Hebrew could could realize that. But anyway, yeah, a lot of, again, a lot of just like weird religion, mythology, just a lot of like super interesting themes. And uh, yeah, it almost felt like sacrilegious at the time. Like a lot of, this was, by the way, the Xenogears, when that came out in 1998, it wasn't too far after the time when like Nintendo was se- was censoring games and like you couldn't put the word God in a game. You couldn't even have alcohol in a game. So this game comes out and it is really pushing boundaries. They're like naked characters in the game. There's a lot of stuff in there that is like, you really would not see in games in the 90s a lot, which was also pretty cool for the time. Hmm. Yeah, this really does sound Evangelion-inspired. Yeah. Extremely, extremely. Um, I think that uh, if I had wa- if I ever watched in Evangelion, I would probably just see tons and tons of parallels. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, again, so Xenosaga, so the three games came out. Um, I think they're all pretty strong. Um, some have better parts than others. The combat system changed over time, and some, some parts were a little sluggish. Um, the games are way too bloated. There's, like, way too much filler, way too much dungeon padding. Um, but still, strong games all around. Then... Then something else happens. So uh, Monolith Soft, uh, Takahashi, the way the story goes is that um, Takahashi had this vision in his head of like people fighting on the top of God's bodies. And he also wanted to like build, rebuild morale at his company after Xenosaga like kind of tanked. Nobody bought Xenosaga. So he wanted to rebuild morale. And he comes up with this idea that turns into Xenoblade Chronicles, which is probably the game that you guys are a lot more familiar with than these older ones. So Xenoblade Chronicles comes out for the Wii in 2010. Um, There's a whole massive controversy because it's not uh, planned for the U.S., and so people have to really fight for it to actually come out here. Uh, And eventually, after a lot of fan petitioning and just pushing, uh, they get Nintendo to kind of begrudgingly release it here, uh, which is funny because then it turns into like a massive success and becomes one of Nintendo's like temple franchises now. What was the reasoning there, or was there any stated reasoning for it not coming out in the U.S. originally? Yeah, well, so it's 2010. The Wii is kind of on its way out. So mm. a little bit of context here. The Wii, Wii Mania was like 07, 08. That's when everybody and their grandmothers were buying Wiis. But even at the peak of that, software sales and attach rates on the Wii were never really that strong because it was such a casual audience-focused device. Not a lot of people were buying it and like going and playing the new Ubisoft game or even the new Nintendo game. Even like the Zelda games weren't doing quite that well in comparison to how many machines were actually out there. Mm-hmm. Like the the Wii Sports to Xenoblade pipeline just wasn't fully perfected <laughs> not, yet. Not quite there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh, and that's- so 
there's something so like surprising. Xenoblade, which is like <laughs> massive, massive localization costs because it's so text heavy and uh, and also like wouldn't be able to come out for another year or two, at which point Nintendo would have already been like focusing on its next console, the Wii U. It, got, it didn't really make business sense for them, but they made it work. And then I think what wound up happening is that Nintendo of Europe wound up localizing it anyway. So they wound up uh, like... Handle, handling most of the costs and Nintendo of America just got a free ride so uh, it worked out nicely for Reggie fils and crew um, <laughs> but yeah and then it turned out I don't know if it really sold gangbusters on the Wii but it certainly sold enough to justify continued games and then we have like a whole bunch of sequels so uh, Monolith Soft which eventually is bought by Nintendo by the way I should say I, I don't remember exactly when that is I'll, I'll look at them in a sec but um, so they have uh, they release uh they release Xenoblade Chronicles X, and then that's in 2015 for the Wii U. Then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 in 2017 for the Switch. And now Xenoblade Chronicles 3 um, in 2022 for the Switch. So uh, Monolith, by the way, was bought by Nintendo in 2007. So it's as Xenoblade 1 was being developed. So uh, my my opinions on these games are pretty, uh, uh, I guess, divergent with the mainstream. A lot of people like these games. I really do not. Um, they're very grindy. They're very MMO-like in that a lot of the combat is just kind of watching things unfold um, or and or trying to get in positions, but like still doing auto attacks and then occasionally waiting for your timers to go up. It's very MMO-ish. Like you're waiting for timers and hitting those timers while your combat, while your character just like whacks a sword and an enemy. Um, um, they're full of like tedious, menial side quests and uh, a lot of slow paced stuff. Maddie, you would hate them. Like, yeah. I guarantee you, you will never want to play these games. Um, but people love them. <laughs> Maybe if they were an anime, because I know this new one has a whole lot of visual novel aspects in it, to put it mildly, or at least so I hear. There's a lot of talking. Well, we'll get to the new one. I want to talk about the new one in a second. But, sure. um, the, uh, the first one, so just to give my brief impressions, and I, I, I don't know if you, either of you have played around with either no, of these. No, go but for it. The first one, um, I played a lot of, um, kind of liked it. Um, at that point, so uh, rewinding a second, one of the reasons that there was so much fervor for bringing Xenoblade to the States back before it was officially announced for localization here, um, and I believe there was an organization called Operation Rainfall that was like the big petition group. Oh, I remember this. Out. You remember, remember that? Operation yeah. Rainfall, yes. Wow. Um, so, so one of the reasons is that it was kind of, it was critically acclaimed. It was seen as like this masterpiece, this JRPG revolution. Like people literally in reviews would call it a revolution for JRPGs. And so playing it with that lens, I was very disappointed. It was just like, this is just a fucking like single player MMO. Um, but then, uh, but but I still enjoyed it. And the music was amazing. It like looks great. There's a lot of cool stuff to it, despite like these terrible characters and voices and a lot of, a lot not to like, including Shulk, <laughs> the main character. But then Xenoblade Two is like legitimately one of the worst games I've ever played. But a lot of people love it, and that that has has baffled me a little bit. So wait, do you mean Xenoblade X or Xenoblade no, Two? No, no, Two. I okay. mean Two. Xenoblade Two. X I so, never played actually. Okay, interesting. It's just in there. It's X. It's got an X on it because Jason hasn't played it. X X is actually that's more uh, robots. Uh, it, they add robot to it. It's kind of like a sci-fi, more sci-fi spin-off. But again, haven't played that one. Got but it. But two, I reviewed that for Kotaku, and it's like legit. I, I reread my review before in preparation for this episode. I, I really did not like it, and rereading that <laughs> review just like brought back memories. I was like, oh yeah, God, this game was a mess. My goodness. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we'll have to we'll link to your review yeah. in the show notes so people can read it. I remember when you reviewed it because you angered quite a few people. But to zoom out a little bit before on, it came out on before these games um, and to maybe ask a few questions that people might be wondering. For starters, are these games all sequels to one another? Are they set in the same universe? Do they share characters? How connected are they? Yeah, I think it's a spoiler to say, but um, <laughs> I guess it's a spoiler to say Wait. what, but the answer is yes. So my okay. understanding my understanding is that there's some like twisty stuff at the end of two that links into one in certain ways. Yeah, so okay. obviously I won't say I what, see, but I that's, see. that's my understanding. So if you were to play two, for example, you would automatically be spoiling the end of one for yourself, perhaps without realizing you were? I don't know the specifics, but not till the end. I mean, if you start sure. two right now, you can play for a hundred hours and have no no links to one because like the characters are totally different. There's nothing mm-hmm. connecting it to one from the outset, at least. That's what I'm asking. Like, so there may be some things revealed, but the general Got experience it. of each game is a discrete experience. Yes, I think so. Um, I don't know about three, and I don't know how three, three ties into one and two. The sense I've gotten is that it does, but. Um, but yeah, that's that's my my understanding here is limited. And I should say I've never finished any of these games. They're like these are hundred hour hundred hour games. I remember I reviewed the first one and I had or I reviewed the second one actually and people were slamming me for not finishing the game. I was like, I played fifty hours of this game, literally. Like look <laughs> at my timer on my switch, fifty hours. If you make me play any more of this, like I'm going to jump off the uh tap and Z bridge. Yeah. Like the review will become more negative if you play more yeah, of it. Exactly. So why is that the exactly. request? <laughs> so another question, and this is based on not having played Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but having seen it. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is the one with all the, it's like the really horny one, right? Oh, is this the yes. Vagina Bones one? Is that what that's no, from? No, that's something different. Xenoblade 2. <laughs> um, Xenoblade 2, it's the one where the swords come to life and they're like yeah. hot girls, oh, yeah. right? It's the swords, yeah. The swords turn into hot girls. It's very anime. It's very, like, tropey. There are tons of anime tropes. Yeah, I'm thinking of Tokyo Mirage Sessions. My bad. Right, <laughs> right. Um, the, yeah, it's, and I feel like two of the, the weapon women from that game have become, are they in Smash? Or they're like, they've become, yeah. like, characters, like Nintendo mm-hmm. stable characters. Yep. So that's like the enduring legacy of, of Xenoblade 2, this game that you dislike. It does seem to have at least in that it had really horny character designs, like the characters <laughs> are still around, right? They are, yeah. And like I said, I mean, I was an anomaly. A lot of people like this game. I think on Metacritic, it's still in the 80s right now. A lot of people like gave it... N- critically acclaimed reviews um and remember this is a series again this is a series that i just i don't think i've ever just quite understood because the first game people call this masterpiece this revolution for jrpgs and that still blows my mind like i just don't understand it because to me i've been looking at all these games being like please be even a fraction of as good as xenogears was but none of them are sadly and that's and that's the lens in which i've been looking at these games is this guy who i think his best work is sadly behind him mm-hmm. so can we get into that a little or like yeah. yeah yeah tease out what it is exactly that you don't like because you're you've played so many jrpgs and clearly a lot of people who love jrpgs love these games so what what is it that they're that they like that you don't or what is it that you're looking for that you're not getting from these games yeah i'm not sure i've given this a lot of thought i think that there's like 
Um, the people who like JRPGs, I think, can be divided into a few different camps. And I think one of those camps is people taxonomy, who like... Taxonomy! Taxonomy! <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't... Type okay, of JRPG I didn't, I didn't write this down. I didn't make a big category list. But I do think... I think one of those camps is people who like the horniness and who like horny anime women. And that mm. really gets them off. And I think those people have a lot to like out of out of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. That's never really been my thing. but And I've like kind of had to begrudgingly accept sometimes <laughs> that even in, in some of my favorite JRPGs there's some fan service as it's called to stuff like that um, but uh, but that's one one group another group is I think people who just like the tedium and, and don't mind the monotony of of, um, of just like doing endless filler side quests and just like watching lists and we've talked about this before about the, the appeal of filling checklists and watching mm-hmm. numbers mm-hmm. go up and all that stuff and for me I need a little bit more illusion than these games offer for that stuff um but for me it's just that it's all it's also for me is just that like the characters aren't as good the story isn't as good the voice acting is atrocious the the writing is not nearly as good it just doesn't snap quite as much it doesn't it's not as cohesive it's not it just feels like i mean especially in xenoblade 2's case that game is such a mess of systems it's like you'll you'll still be you'll you're unlocking new systems five ten hours into the game and none of them are really necessary like it's just all this redundancy that is just added for the sake of like making the game feel more complex and more Mm. driven by numbers and items and stuff but it doesn't work it's just all all feels like a mess where you have to god there was one where like you have to jump through all these hoops just to get like basic items or just to do basic crafting stuff it's really just such a waste of time um and that's the other thing is i appreciate i don't appreciate it when games waste my time i've said this before quite a few times and uh there's some jrpgs that do that worse than others and xenoblade is especially egregious when it comes to that Hmm. So having played a little bit of Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I read the Polygon review of it, which is uh, a lovely, really well-written review, I thought, and very positive, very mm-hmm. into the game and says the story is really cool. I'll say that just from the you know hour or so that I've played of it, um, my total you know noob to the series impressions are, uh, well, I have a few impressions, I guess. The, the setup of this game is pretty cool, the narrative setup. It's a lot of it, it's a lot of tropes that I've seen in games like this before. It kind of reminds me of Scarlet Nexus, that game from last year, where you're kind of child soldiers who are part of this totalitarian government. Uh-huh, you're uh-huh. created in a test tube. Evangelion vibes, if you will. Sure, I guess. I guess. I mean, it's it's certainly an older trope than, yes, than just absolutely. that game. It's just, I was just recently playing that game. And mm-hmm. they even kind of, your characters kind of dress similarly to Scarlet Nexus. You're in these all black kind of combat suits. They're all very young and like they look like anime characters. And the premise is basically that there's this endless war going on between two sides and the armies fighting the war are all just grown in test tubes. And then you live 10 years as a soldier and then you're just retired. And you basically, you know, you die at some point in battle. And the way the war is fought is that the soldiers are killed and then their life force is harvested in real time on the battlefield by these huge machines. And, you know, it's it's pretty gruesome. I really was kind of, I, I was struck by the brutality and intensity of the narrative setup. I was kind of drawn in. It was more... Um, just more intense than I was expecting. 
And well, uh, just on on that point, the first yeah. like half hour of this game is already so much more engaging than either of the first two games. Like the first two games are super tropey. Like Xenoblade Two opens with you just like running around and doing a bunch of fetch, fetch quests, and then like meeting your horny lady sword. Um, Xenoblade <laughs> One opens up with you doing a bunch of fetch quests <laughs> in your small, quiet village that is attacked by uh, evil, menacing robots, and then your dad dies. So like. <laughs> It's it's the first two games just open with nothing but tropes, and the third game is like this interesting plot. I mean, that idea of like you are all the, you are this group of child soldiers who lives for ten years that is already more enticing to yeah. me at least than anything I've seen in the other Xenoblade games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought and just well introduced. I mean, it's kind of a, it's cutting between a couple different sequences. You're on the battlefield, you're fighting, you're seeing the horrors of war. You're also cutting back to this training sequence that's very Ender's Game as these brutal sort of test tube children all <laughs> wage war games against one another, and you get a sense of all the different characters and your own group and you can see the way that the party works like there's like a kind of tank guy with a shield and there's the healer and there's your player like you really it's cool I think it's like an effective it was a more it felt at least narratively a lot faster paced than I was expecting even though I was kind of just watching a lot of cutscenes and wasn't playing a lot and then so the other thing I noticed playing this game was um, there, the combat is interesting. It was not what I was expecting because I'd never played one of these games before. It is a lot of MMO-style auto combat. There's a timing element to it, and I can see how the sort of it probably gets a lot more complex as you go and you get more into it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. It, it's not the kind of combat that I usually go to games for. Though I could see how someone might like. Just it's kind of really low requirement in general, especially if you're just grinding. And because it's on Switch, you can just turn the volume down and like watch TV and just walk around killing things. And that's probably kind of fun. And the last thing I will say that I noticed is you would probably want to turn the volume down because they repeat lines of dialogue constantly in this game. And I remember that being a complaint from the earlier ones, but I was really struck by it. The minute I started playing, it was just this same like three lines of dialogue over and over and over again um, in combat, the kind of combat barks were very repetitive. Yeah, it's insufferable. Um, Kirk, to that, to your previous point, the point before last, I think that if this game is anything like the last two, it actually becomes extremely high effort and high intensity to the point where, like, mm. if you're not mastering the combat, it can be a real pain in the ass. And the bosses are all bullet sponges. And in fact, the beginning of Xenoblade 3, you fight this boss who you're just like, you have to really wait a solid five minutes for it to go down. And the fact that the first boss in the game is itself a bullet sponge uh, does not bode well for, mm. for the rest of the combat in this game. That's the thing that worries me most. Do you think it could game. be a, a case of a game where the story is really cool and you can just kick it down to easy and kind of blast through it and just get the story? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'll reserve judgment until I've had more time to play this game and I will give yeah. it more of a chance. Um, I like JRPGs. I want them to succeed. I want this series to be good. I want to enjoy one of these games. I just haven't really yet, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, it's too bad. But um but man, Xenogears, what a game. God, I keep thinking about the music in that game and like the different, <laughs> the way that it cuts, like the, the different cinematic techniques it uses. It's such a brilliant, brilliant video game. I just don't know what happened. Don't know what mm. happened. This is a dangerous question, but do you feel like Xenogears 
holds up if someone were to play it now please don't make me <laughs> Manny what have yeah. you said what are I you doing I do want to know think... though what Jason thinks I'm holding up my flashing red <laughs> alert stop sign it, it holds okay so a couple of things so the text moves really slowly so you have to play it with an emulator like period you you need fast forward to get uh-huh. through the text because um, the text is just like it, it will drive you insane how slowly it moves and you can't toggle it to move faster um, but hey, 1998. Um, I think it. Ho- I think it holds up well, um, despite some finicky stuff with like the isometric uh, angles and like having to do jumping puzzles once mm. in a while and that sort of weird stuff. It does not hold up well if you are not a JRPG fan and you just struggled your way through Suikoden 2. <laughs> well, and, like, this is a game that's 80 hours long. I mean, part of what I'm asking, though, I mean, I'm asking on behalf of the listener, because I know they're not all like me, and some of them might be thinking, well, what what about Xenogears? And also, how's the translation? Because that was one of my quibbles with Suikoden. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty solid. There's some weird stuff, but it actually works because it's very... Um, consistent um, and it's pretty coherent for the most part. It's just like like you'll notice some strange quirks to it, but they work for the most part. Um, like one of the quirks is that there are a lot of just like ter- there's a lot of terminology thrown at you, a lot of proper nouns and stuff, and oftentimes they're surrounded by these like brackets to indicate that they're proper nouns, and so it just kind of you have to get used to the way that it's depicted. Um, but once you get a hang of it, I mean, it's kind of like opening up a, a dense like sci-fi or fantasy novel where you have to really like commit to it. Um, I think it's held up pretty well. The music is certainly held up. Um, mm-hmm. I think the story holds up. I think I think most of it holds up. It's just that like you have to be willing to go through a ton of dungeons with random encounters, invisible random encounters, and turn-based combat. And mm-hmm. like Maddie, you you should not subject yourself to that. Oh, it's not for <laughs> me. Of course not. I'm more just I'm imagining uh just a version of jason who would get that story that you liked but in a more playable package basically in the modern day because it sounds like what you liked was the story not necessarily all the other hang-ups well no 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 in that game i like everything i like the combat i like the story i like the way that it it's there's a lot of interesting stuff you upgrade your gears over time and like you buy parts for them and stuff and you can customize them in certain ways you have to like deal with like there's a lot of interesting systems in that game that are just because they're built behind more of a traditional turn-based combat than like the mmo style combat which is just like turn-based combat i think is so much better than like mmo style xenoblade combat um there's a lot more interesting strategy and just like more decisions more interesting decisions you can make um you also have this huge cast of characters that are all super interesting characters and each has the way that the story unfolds you get like a good amount of time that you spend with each of the characters and each of them has their own storyline that is like surprisingly nuanced and complicated and developed and um it's kind of like the opposite of suikoden 2 in that sense in that like by the end of it you really get to know Yeah. yeah well well, even no more. It's it's more in depth. The characters go more are a lot deeper than FF six, um, and you can definitely see some of the lineage there um, in terms of it being an ensemble party because it is very much an ensemble party. But yeah, there's just like a lot of good stuff to that game, a lot of meat to it, and I think it does hold up well. It's just like it's a 
big commitment. That's what I would say. It's a mm-hmm. big time commitment. But all these games are, and I think yeah. that like people people who are curious about the series. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 hoping to give Xenoblade Three a chance and and stick with it. But uh, yeah, I wish Xenogears was like playable on the Switch and like a remastered version. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think you should nice. just watch Evangelion. That's my take mm. on all of this. I think it'll really scratch your itch. Like I'm not I think kidding. That you should. I actually <laughs> do think you should watch it. Yeah, if, uh, I know you're not a huge anime fan, but if you're gonna watch one anime, yeah, that's pretty it much the one seems to watch. Like that's the one. How do you? I watch it on Netflix? Are, are there like a billion different versions? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. No. No, I just fine. watch it. I just go to Netflix and I type mm-hmm. in. Yeah, you go to Netflix.com and you put in Jay Schreier, whatever your email is, and then your password, right. which we all know is yeah. we code into forever with a four. <laughs> with a four as a number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, check out check out Evangelion. It's pretty cool. It's a cool anime. Okay. Weird ending. I won't spoil okay. it. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that, like, to be fair, to give some credit to the Xenoblade series, I think if you stick with them, you're rewarded with some, like, really interesting themes and story stuff, story beats. Um, I think for me, the characters have just been so insufferable that I've had a hard time sticking with them. But I think they do explore some interesting ideas. But yeah, Shulk in the first game and then Rex in the second game are just such terrible main characters that it's really hard to, like... Get a get a get a lot of commitment to them, as opposed to some of the other the characters in Xeno Gears or even Xeno Saga. Xeno Saga Cosmos is a pretty badass main character, uh, and well, she really she's she's one of the main characters. The scientist who uh, who like works with her is also the main character. Um, also, a series that has had pretty strong, pretty good, strong female protagonists over the years. I would say that's one str- another strength of Xeno Gears is that it has a really good um, female kind of starring uh co co-star um alongside the guy the main guy you play as but anyway nice. so that's that's the xeno series that's what the deal is with them maddie now that you've you've listened to this uh to this explanation now do you have a deeper understanding of all things you know i do finally now i know Good. i don't have know. to play any of them <laughs> it feels great all right <laughs> let's take a break and then we will be back with one more thing Hey there, quick favor to ask. Will you help us out by taking a five-minute survey at MaximumFun.org survey? As you know, most of the support for MaxFun comes directly from folks like you, but many of our shows and our network also rely on limited advertising for some revenue. This survey helps us attract advertisers that are a good fit for the audiences of our shows, and it helps many of our hosts secure a bit of extra income. It should only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll get a discount at MaxFun store when you do. That's MaximumFun.org survey. Thanks. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Nine years ago, we started a podcast to try and learn something new every episode. Things have gone a little off the rails since then. <laughs> Tune in to hear about low stakes neighborhood drama, gardening, the sordid, nasty underbelly of the horse girl lifestyle, hot sauce, addiction to TV, and sweaty takes on celebrity culture, and the weirdest, grossest stuff you can find on wikipedia.org. We'll read all of it no matter how gross. <laughs> There's something for everyone on our podcast, Baby Geniuses, hosted by us, two horny adult idiots. Hang out with us as we try and fail to retain any knowledge at all every other week on maximum fun and we are back kirk maddie it is time for one more thing kirk 
You played the cat game. Take us away. I did. I've, you know, as I mentioned, been just sort of lying down for the past week. And <laughs> that's a pretty... <laughs> This is, a, this is a pretty good time to play video games, specifically on my Steam Deck. And one of the games that I've been playing is Stray, a game that everyone was talking about a couple of weeks ago, and um, and I just played and, and wanted to say that I think is really cool. I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm pretty far in it, and it's a neat game. Have either of you played Stray? Not yet. No, I, I would like no to. No interest. I have interest. <laughs> I Jason, I know, has zero, I believe it was zero interest, is yeah. how Jason described it to us when we first mentioned it. I just don't like cats. Sorry to all you cat people out there. Wow. Um, Maddie, sorry, however, Maddie, just judging by Maddie's Instagram, I'm going to say that Maddie does like cats. I'm <laughs> getting over this bombshell where Jason also, doesn't like cats. Also, the look of horror sorry. on Maddie's face right now tells me that she likes cats. I don't know how to react to this. At I'm just all. a dog person. I'm just. I love sad. dogs. I love dogs and cats. I refuse to claim a personage in that battle. But yeah. regardless, I haven't played Stray yet. I've been actually playing something else for work that I'll maybe talk about in a couple weeks. But I would like to play it. Go on. So yeah, I am. I am a dog person as well. Um, I've never actually owned a cat, though. I had cats. I guess my family had cats growing up. But I like cats. They're they're cool. And um, I like this game. I think it's got a really amazing cat in it. That's the thing that's the most remarkable about it. So Stray is made by a studio called Blue 12, a small indie studio. It's out on PlayStation platforms and Windows. You play as a cat, an orange tabby, just a normal-ass cat Mm -hmm. um, in a sort of not-normal setting. It first just looks like you're kind of exploring caves or, I guess, through the sewers with your cat friends. And then you take a wrong step and you fall. And then it turns out you're actually uh, in a, well, it's unclear, but what appears to be a post-human world, if not post-apocalyptic, post-human. There are no humans around. And you're in this kind of buried city full of robots. And you befriend one robot that lets you talk to the other robots. And then you kind of go on an adventure to try to get back to the surface. And you also just learn a lot about what happened in this world. You learn some things and some things I think are left mysterious. So it's it's basically just a an adventure game. I mean it's a you you're mostly just platforming and trying to solve puzzles. There's some light combat, there's some sort of some chase sequences where these weird little things chase you around. But mostly you're just being a cat and and that's really the game's greatest strength. I think it's remarkable how realistic this cat moves. It really jumps up onto things just like a cat does. It kind of pours itself around the environment, this cat, in a way that's just very believable. And it's been the most remarkable thing about the game to me is just how, you know, you're in control of the cat, but you can't, like, you can't just jump around and do a lot of, you know, weird, goofy looking stuff. Like, the cat is is pretty... Uh, you don't have total control at all times. Like the jumps are prompts. You know, you'll look mm. up at a table and you'll see the a jump button appear on it, and then you press, and the cat perfectly jumps onto the table. So, it's not like you're, the cat always looks very elegant and graceful in that way that cats do. But they just give you a lot of fun environmental prompts. You'll walk up to a rug, and you can then press the triggers on the rug, and the cat will kind of knead the rug Aww. and do the you know cat kneading thing. Or you can sort of snuggle up with robots or go to sleep with them, which is all very charming. And yeah, I just. Um, you know, I don't have a ton of deep thoughts on it. It's not really that kind of game, but I'm I'm impressed by it. I think it's like it's really beautiful looking and so well animated and well conceived. It just it feels like it didn't really bite off more than it can chew 
at least the amount that I've played. I gather I don't have a lot left. I think it's only like five hours long. And I just like this kind of game. Like it almost feels like a play dead game, like a Limbo or Inside, even though it's not as gnarly and weird as those. It has that same feeling of just being very compact and tidy. And it was kept within the scope that they apparently decided on for it. And just a small team making a game that's not big, but works well and accomplishes what it sets out to do. And I think that's really cool. So yeah, I, I really dig it. Nice. Yeah. Stray. Sounds cool. Yeah. I think you'll like it, Maddie, just because I know how much you like cats. Yeah, I think I'll like it too. Um, Maddie, what's your Omar thing? So mine is a movie, which is an adaptation of the Stephen King book that I made my one more thing a few weeks hey. back. A book called Misery, which I believe came mm. out in 87. And I watched the movie, which came out in 1990. And the reason I did that was because I got invited to guest on... Our favorite podcast, Just King Things. Hey, <laughs> talk about so misery. Uh, so the way they do their episodes is that the books are the free episodes, and you have to pay for the bonus episodes where they talk about the movie adaptations of the books. And every now and then they'll put an episode like that in the feed. I think Kirk's guest episode did eventually get released as a public I think it episode. Did, yeah, I went but, on to talk about the Stand miniseries from yeah. the, from the nineties. Great app if you if you want to be it was very fun. Uh, but so I'm not sure if if it'll be available. But I recommend not only listening but also supporting Just King Things because it's a great show. It was super cool to talk about Misery, weird book. The movie is much funnier than I had remembered. Kathy Bates is really? incredible. Kathy Bates. Anytime you see Kathy Bates, yeah. I think it's. Well, we talked about it a lot on the episode, but apparently they had a whole lot of trouble finding a leading man who was, it's James Caan who ends up playing the role of the Stephen King self-insert character who gets kidnapped by his his crazed super fan, Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, who won an Oscar for her performance in the movie. The recently, she's amazing. recently departed James Caan. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. This is a, he's performing well at, what is some odd direction in this movie hmm. to make it a bit <laughs> funnier than you would expect. But when you hear the director is Rob Reiner of When Harry Met Sally Ate All, that might click into place for you. So not very many people wanted to direct this movie and not very men uh, wanted to be the lead actor in it because it's such a passive role and such a like woman-dominated movie, which is really sad to hear. And I... Got to talk to Cameron and Michael about that on their show and, you know, sexism in the late 80s and early 90s. And I'm really glad this movie still happened, even though it it kind of holds back on making Annie Wilkes as terrifying and weird and inhuman as she is in the novel. In the movie, she's actually more of a person, although she's still also terrifying in other ways. And that's interesting to see. So I guess I recommend the book and the movie. But definitely the movie. Uh, it's fun. And it's not maybe not as scary as you would think it was. It's it's weird. Do you think the reason for that is that Kathy Bates just imbibes her with humanity because you're watching a person give a performance I as do opposed think that's to part the book it. where you're getting like her inner monologue more yes. and it's this kind of more tortured mental picture? I think it's also because just because a, per- a human being is playing the role, that person wants to imbue some motivation to a character's actions. So they can't just be purely monstrous without that being alienating to the viewer. Right, and Kathy right. Bates talked about how she had like researched, 
you know, people who had been murderers and what drives them to do that and it sort of incorporated that into her role and thinking about like, oh, maybe this character experienced abuse of some kind and that's what led her to be this kind of person. And so some of it is writing, some of it is directing, some of it is Kathy Bates' performance just imbuing this character with more humanity than she has in the book where she's just straight up scary and it's much Mm -hmm. more of a straight horror novel. But I do think the other piece of it is that James Caan in the movie just always seems a little sly and like he's always one up on Annie Wilkes, which in the book, the author character is constantly <laughs> like in trouble and it's terrifying and he's like not making it at all. And and, and in the movie, James Conn just kind of seems a little badass. That's also because James Conn was a little bit badass. So yeah, it's, it's, I still recommend it though. And uh, I definitely recommend Just King Things. Pretty good podcast. I am. Sure is. Um, cool. Misery. Um, my one more thing is another JRPG that just came out to Switch called Live a Live. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, live a live, live a live a live, live a live, live a live. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it's called Live a Live a Live. Uh, so this is a game. This is a fascinating game. This is a uh, Switch remake of a Super Nintendo game that only came out in Japan. So this 2022 version is the only way to officially play it in English. Uh, you could download it and play like a fan translation patch based on the ROM, which I actually did dabble with a little bit back in the day, like 20 years ago or so. But uh, this is the first official way to play it. Uh, and the remake is done in the style of like Octopath Travel and triangle strategy that kind of what Square is calling, Square Enix is calling HD2D, which is this beautiful looking, just kind of like modern classic approach to game graphics, which is gorgeous. And the game looks absolutely phenomenal as a result. So this game is friggin' weird, you guys. It's really fascinating. <laughs> so this game, I don't know if you know this, this is actually a predecessor to Chrono Trigger. Kind of like how Xenogears is supposed to be a sequel to Chrono Trigger. This is kind of like a predecessor to it. And you can see kind of some of the recurring themes that would then go on to be in Chrono Trigger. So the uh, the premise is this. you When you start off, you can pick between seven different characters. And each of those characters has their own little kind of vignette or short story um, or JRPG campaign, whatever the case may be. And so these span a whole bunch of different time zones. There's the prehistoric character, there's the sci-fi robot, there's the Wild West character, there's the uh, ninja shinobi dude in Imperial Edo, Japan, Um, there's uh, a martial artist. Also, there's seven different totally wildly different characters, and each of them has their own little story that plays out, and so you can play them in any order and you you pick them and you play through them and um, they all kind of have this fundamental this kind of baseline gameplay that is this grid based turn based combat uh, mechanic but they all unfold very differently one of them barely has any combat because it's all this kind of like alien style horror horror story on a spaceship this is the sci-fi one and like you're you're it's a murder mystery slash horror slash like being chased by an alien pretty like cool. crazy it stuff. does yeah it's very very kirk um, another one is very natty because it's just like a kind of a take on Street Fighter in that you don't even have to move around. You just kind of pick uh, these different battles because you play as this guy who wants to be the best wrestler in the world. And so he fights all these different wrestlers in this kind of like very, very much an ape on Street Fighter to the huh. point where it's the same stage selection. It's mm-hmm. the same like, and it's like um, 2D. the same 
they even have the same uh, like messages, like the, the way in Street Fighter they'll have these little messages, the little victory the messages. And it stuff. says like this guy's from Japan, this guy's oh, from those. America, and it has yeah. a, well, and then it has like yeah, the victory messages. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and so that's interesting. The prehistoric one, nobody knows English because they haven't learned languages yet, so they all speak <laughs> through kind of like emotes and stuff. Um, and so these are all just weird different campaigns and they're all pretty weird. There's, I really have enjoyed playing them. I've played through them all now. I played a, spent a bunch of time with this game and I've really enjoyed it. There's, there's a certain amount of tedium that you have to expect here because it is a JRPG from the nineties. And unfortunately there is some like some backtracking, some tedious, uh, like, unnecessary combat but anyway then once you beat them all you get this new campaign that's like a, a another crazy uh campaign and i won't spoil exactly what it is but basically it has a plot twist that just kind of like ties everything together and then once you beat that you go on to a final campaign where you can put all of the seven party members or all the eight party members whatever it is um together and you can form a party with them and you carry on any items and weapons and stuff you got in the first time you played as them and then you you make this uber jrpg hmm. party and then you explore this brand new world that's like full of side quests and secrets and stuff and uh adds a whole bunch of more time to the game but they made the stupidest possible design decision which is that like after most of the game uh in fact all seven of the short stories not a single one of them has invisible random encounters they all just have their own kind of weird systems but usually you see the enemies on screen if there are going to be enemies um the final campaign and then the end of the game is totally invisible random encounters which fucking sucks it's the worst mm. uh so it has added to the whole level of tdm by exponentially um and really soured me on the end of the game unfortunately but aside from that it's really a weird experience and uh just a cool game overall it's really weird weird that it came out today weird that they remade it weird that they released it in the u.s for the first time ever just everything about it everything about it is very weird and there's a lot of just like weird dialogue a lot of like stuff that you wouldn't expect to see from a nintendo game foul mouth stuff fart jokes like just weird shit it's just a, such a strange experience hmm. very very weird game hmm. interesting i have a code for this so maybe i'll check it out you should. You you should uh, check out the sci-fi uh, campaign because that one yeah. seems, seems up your alley. But there's some other weird shit too. Like the Wild West campaign is all set in this one kind of stereotypical Wild West town. And you start off, you're a gunslinger and you walk into a saloon and there's tension and then these outlaws come in. And the premise is these outlaws are coming and you have eight days to set traps all across the town for the outlaws to run into. And depending on how well you do, you have this one big battle at the end of the campaign and you can either uh, whittle down all of the NPCs if you set enough traps or only whittle down some of them or have to fight all of them at once for a super tough battle. So like your what you accomplish in the trap portion sets up how difficult the actual fight is. Um, yeah, just a weird game. So is it possible to set up a fake town using the movie set from the movie that you're on to trick them <laughs> yes, all into, yes. into going go over there? Yes, you go just full on blazing saddles and you, you set up a fake town. That was a Beans um, cast callback that was for, a beans for cast. members. That's a bonus <laughs> episode. But anyway, yeah, Live a Live. It's just a weird game. If you want if you want to experience something just super bizarre and like unlike most games that you'll play, and if you're willing to like pass some of the TDM or just kind of grind your way through it, uh, pretty cool. I recommend it. It's worth checking out. Cool. Cool. And a fun historical artifact. Anyway, that is it for this week's episode. Uh, yeah. Another reminder, we will have the Marvel Beans cast. The July Beans cast is going to be hitting in early August. So this Friday, 
Uh, and then we will also have an August Beans cast at the end of August, so stay tuned for that one too. Indeed, we will. Yeah. If you're wondering, how do I get these bean casts? You just go to <laughs> maximumfun.org slash join. Sign up today. Yep. Turk, Maddie. I'll see you both next week. All right. See you next time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.